Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. At the end of the episode, my daughter will be reading from Try Not to Die at Ghostland, continuing the story. I will read the death scene from last week, so if you made the incorrect choice, you will find out what awful tragedy happened to Lucky, or Unlucky. Whatever you want to call it, depending on your choice. Man, everything is awesome. Last week was incredible, right? I had Carl and Luca here. That was amazing. They left on Sunday. My kids are back in school. My son started on Monday. My 10-year-old and Liv, the 15-year-old, went back two days ago. I wasn't sure if she was even going to want to record this today. I remembered right now. I was like, oh, shit, I got to put out a podcast and a newsletter tomorrow. It's already Thursday afternoon after school. But she said she was down to record it. So I was like, okay, I'll go record it real quick. My son's doing jiu-jitsu with my wife right now. They'll come back for dinner. Then I get to go do jiu-jitsu with Liv and then come back, edit this, all that fun stuff. So jiu-jitsu is still happening. Not as much as I wanted, but one really cool thing with that is we got so many awesome photos. Carl took uh, so many really cool photos. Some of them were here. Some were at the pool. Some were doing different things. Uh, but a lot of them were jiu-jitsu related. I'm planning on putting out a little our jiu-jitsu journey. I'm not sure what it's going to be. Maybe it's just going to be a one-time thing, small little 99 cents ebook. It'll include some of the awesome photos that he took and just talking about where we are in our jiu-jitsu journey right now as a family. We're all in different places. It's all kind of cool. Maybe other people that are doing jiu-jitsu will enjoy seeing it. Maybe you guys, especially those people that can't understand the attraction, like why would you want to go and learn how to choke people or break arms or something like that? But it is pretty amazing. I'm so glad we're doing it. In fact, I just ordered my Try Not to Die custom rash guard. That's going to be dope. Mike Mons, who does so many of the 10th plant designs and designs for everyone all over, he is putting that together for me. It is going to have Try Not to Die branded into the chest but with some other injuries and stuff. Should look pretty awesome. Very excited to get that, give that out to all the different black belts that I know. Not all of them, because I know way too many fucking black belts. And that's me being a lowly little purple belt. It's still awesome seeing people rock my rash guard. Uh, whenever I see someone in the unlock in the cage rash guard, it always makes me feel great. Even if it's my wife, that's still pretty cool that she rocks it. That's been exciting. Going back to school, cool. The other really big thing is, man, Books of Horror. That group on Facebook is pretty amazing. It was, I didn't even know anything about it. Usually when I'm on Facebook or social media, all it is is take a quick look, post something, and and then later, that's it. I interact with a couple people. Always feel like I kind of don't have time for it and whatever. But when I interviewed Brian Asman, I think last year, he mentioned, he's like, oh, man, he's like, this group is incredible. They're so supportive of indie horror. There's so many incredible individuals there. It's like, you should become part of the group. So I joined. But of course, I stayed back in the shadows. I'm watching stuff. I see how everyone loves Duncan Ralston. Super cool to see how supportive they were. And then when Trying to Fight Ghostland came out, Super supportive of that. Uh, lots of them enjoyed that book. Uh, ratings on that are pretty awesome. Thank you to everyone who's reviewed that. Uh, one of the individuals from that book, Books of Horror group, Shannon Marie, put together a Trying to Die Ghostland group. So thank you to Shannon for putting that together. That was a lot of fun. And then I also took advantage of the Books of Horror Freeview group. That's where I gave different Try Not to Dies to a bunch of people. Many of them were excited to have this kind of book, an interactive book similar to the old Choose Your Own Adventure books, but for adults or young adults. And so, yeah, things have been doing awesome. People have picked up 
Ghostland first and then gone back and bought the last five books. So all that was super cool. And then recently I started posting a little bit. I think I put something about Ghostland or Death Fest and I made a post about Death Fest Confessions. I've talked about that on here before. I told you I was going to find 10 other authors to write short stories for each of the 11 bands. I was going to write one that were seen or heard at Death Fest. There were four bands that were not seen or heard by the main character. So I wasn't going to include them. There were only going to be 11 songs in the Best of Death Fest album. I already have an awesome story by John Cohn. He was the first to deliver one. John Palisano is working on his. Uh, P.W. Foyt, who has uh, worked on... He has the editor of Death Fest. He's helped me with other stuff. I talked about his little new development last week. Um, so those were the ones I had set up. I was talking with Duncan a little bit about it, but really trying to get other authors to join an anthology or something like that, especially on very little notes. I'm trying to kind of get this done pretty quick. And I'm asking them to do something special. I'm asking them to read this whole book and stay consistent with it, work with me, trying to figure out a cool story. So I didn't know whether or not that was going to happen. I was like, okay, maybe it's only going to be three stories or five or six, and we'll just put them out slowly. I don't know if there's ever going to be an anthology. But then I posted in Books of Horror saying, hey, can you guys recommend any metalheads that are authors that would be up for this book? All kinds of people were suggesting people. Authors came out and said that they were interested. And these are all guys that I'm thrilled to be working with, men and women. Uh, I was just blown away by the response. By the next day, I think I had just about everyone lined up. I got Duncan Ralston committed to the headliner spot, which is awesome. I just think that's super cool. Huge thanks to Duncan for everything he's done. Him doing Transit Diet Ghostland has opened up so many doors. And he's just been incredibly supportive, funny as hell. And uh, no, I really appreciate that, guys. So yeah, things are awesome. Thank you to the Books of Horror Group for for that, for pretty much outfitting my Death Best Confession. So we have a super solid lineup. Right now I have 13 authors. I decided to add the four other songs. I think we're gonna write those songs. I just need to find two more guys. One is probably gonna be from Germany. Right now three are from Canada, one's from Australia. I decided also that I am not gonna write a story. I was gonna write for Blutfinger, the German band. I thought that'd be fun. But then I realized this is a lot of fucking work putting together an anthology. I've spent the last two or three days just messaging people, coordinating shit, trying to... Oh, I found an incredible editor. And again, this was someone that's book a horror group, Lindsay Smith. Lindsay, I'm very excited to have you on board. She just edited John's slash tag recently. And was talking about how much she loves his work. I was like, yep, that's going to be awesome. So having her helping out is going to be great. But I realized, yeah, I'd rather focus on making this a super badass anthology. I don't need to write a short story. I don't need to be involved in it. We already did Death Fest. I don't really have the time. So, and it gives the opportunity for one other author. Some of these authors are eh, not brand new, but there are a couple of younger authors. But then there's some, like Robert Essig, who has over 20 books. So we got a lot of really cool authors that are going to make this thing pop. I cannot wait to put it out. With that, all the positive support from the Books of Horror group and others around, you know, my fans, my my readers, you guys are all awesome. I really appreciate it. Many of you guys are in the Books of Horror group, so I'll include you in there. But because of them, because of the positive response, I decided to release uh, Death Fest early. We are now going to release it on September 6th, so that's Read a Book Day. Uh, the PR team thought that would be awesome to release it on that day. We're going to do that. And then I will start releasing the Death Best Confessions, a story at a time. 
I might release the first three all at once, but that'll probably happen around October 15th, the week of the fair. So yeah, very, very excited about that. I already set up meetings for the fair, a couple, and these were people that reached out to me, a lady from France who was interested. She said she's already worked with Choose Your Own Adventure books before, and then someone from Pakistan as well. Uh, I'm waiting on my assistant to give me the list of publishers to approach, and then I am going to fill up Wednesday, Thursday, and the first half of that Friday in Germany with publisher meetings, if possible. I think it should be possible, and I think it's going to be really awesome. If it doesn't amount to anything, that's cool too, because I'm planning on killing it with the public. I think it's going to be a blast. I'm going to have a lot of great stuff, including these new three stories uh, for the Death Fest Confession. So super exciting stuff for me. Everything's falling into place nicely. Going back to the Books of Horror group and Tiffany Copeland, she was awesome. Not only because she's kind of talked up Death Fest, excited about that and Confessions, which is super cool. But we had a couple of messages back and forth about the Books of Horror Halloween boxes that she has going out. She had some incredible suggestions for different merchandise. I was thinking of different merchandise. In fact, I asked my Facebook group who would be, who's one of the best authors around for their merchandising, for their promo material. I knew Gage Greenwood has some incredible stuff. I really like what Gage has done. He's an excellent marketer. Uh, and a lot of people were saying Jay Bauer, who is in the group. He is one of the authors that is contributing to Death Best Confessions. I hit him up today. And uh, yeah, he had some incredible ideas. He's going to help with the Death Fest Confessions, just making sure that looks as bitchin' as possible. The ideas between him and Tiffany were awesome. And so I'm going to have some really cool merchandise very soon, Death Fest related. I think we're doing guitar picks, going to do probably a cool bookmark, maybe a patch like that you would put on a jacket. And the last thing is a lanyard. So not sure if we're going to get them all or when, but that is the plan. I'll probably look into that this week and I got to order those right away, but super awesome. It's just really cool how quickly things can fall into place. A year ago, if I was thinking about putting together a collection, what I've accomplished in the last week, man, I wouldn't have pictured being able to do that much in such a short amount of time. And I wouldn't have done it without all these new friends. Um, super cool. So thank you guys. Thanks to the books of horror. Thank you to Michaela, another person from there that just left an awesome review of Death Fest. And she speaks German. So I think I'm going to take her up on her offer to speak some German with me so I can practice a little bit before the fair. But overall, just incredibly happy, incredibly grateful. Things are kicking ass right now. And yeah, I'm just going to keep rolling with it. So thank you guys. Let's see. I know there's a bunch of other shit going on too, but I don't need to overwhelm you. And I need to go and make dinner for my wife and son, and then I need to get ready for jujitsu. So I've got a busy day, come back, edit this, write a newsletter, all that fun stuff. Thursday, Fridays are always a little packed, but again, it's exciting because I'm remembering all the cool shit that has happened, all the cool shit that is going to happen. I'm so glad that you guys are part of this. Yeah, so hard to believe that nine months ago, eight months ago, well, whenever it was, I was at probably an all-time low. I think it was all the way through maybe February or whatever when I was going through a really bad depression. So to bounce back, to be fucking, I mean, I've been so positive since then. I cannot see it stopping. Maybe it will. Maybe something big's going to happen. But no, I think I'm on a super positive streak. I'm going to keep going that way until I don't. Oh, I got a brand new tattoo idea. I told it to my wife and she's like, oh, that sounds awesome. But not on you. So I was like, ah. So, all right, I got to work on that one a little bit, but I don't need a tattoo right now. I, I got enough. I could hold off on that. 
but when I do want one, when I do, when I am ready to get one, I got a super cool idea. All right, guys, I think it is time for story because, like I said, I got a lot of stuff I got to get done. And I know you're busy too, right? So let's see what happened last week. All right, here we go. So your choices were to help Mitch save the tracksuit guy. That's pretty nice of you. Turn to page 222. Or you stay behind and turn to page 11. I don't know if I would go save the guy. That seems pretty dangerous. I think you should probably just stay behind because why would you run towards a giant that is going to kill somebody? But whatever. You make your own choices. I'm going to read this. Here we go. Mitch is going to get himself killed playing hero, and it won't help anyone if I sacrifice myself beside him. Back that way, I tell Sharon, pointing toward the corner of the building. Go! You're not going with him? What can I do? Sharon looks like I slapped her. I don't know, she says, tears falling. Something? I'm not staying to watch the three of you get killed. Come on, Sharon. He'll catch up. Clang, clang, clang. Mitch is holding a 10-foot-long fence pole like it's a magical staff that can stop the wobbly giant headed his way. Tarling! Sharon screams, No! Run, Mitch! Mitch turns to us. Go! I got this! The giant plods stiffly toward him like its legs are on braces. Mitch jabs the pole at the giant's massive skull, and for the briefest second, the giant totters backwards like it might tip. Ha! Mitch shouts, striking the giant's thigh, then back up top. The giant slow to respond. The tracksuit guy is still crouched against the wall, not taking advantage of the distraction. I shout at both fools to run. I've got it, Mitch says, jabbing the pole into the giant's gut. He's getting tired. The giant grabs hold of the pole, keeps it pressed against its belly. Mitch tugs on the pole, but there's no give. Drop it, I tell him, but it's too late because the giant's walking forward, the pole pushing Mitch back so fast he can barely keep his feet. They're coming right for us. I jump in front of Sharon and the baby, hope to grab Mitch and pull him out of the way before he gets slammed into the wall. But the giant's picking up speed and Mitch slams into me, the back of his head shattering my nose, my head crunching into Sharon's. All the air is knocked out of me with the hottest fire burning through my chest. Oh God, oh God, oh God, the tracksuit guy says from his spot, petrified against the fence. There's not an inch of space between our bodies, no feeling from my waist down. We're still standing, pinned against the wall. Michelle's crying. Sharon is silent, Mitch the only one screaming. My heart's going to burst, only the slightest bit of air in my lungs. I call Church's name, knowing it's the last word I'll ever say. The giant slowly pulls out the pole, and all four of us fall to the ground, blood and gore pouring from the three-inch holes in our stomachs. He wipes our blood off the pole with one huge hand and heads back to the crying tracksuit guy. My eyes won't stay open, all sensation fading fast. The baby's wails fill my dying moments. With my last glimpse of reality, I see Sharon's fallen on top of her. I can only hope someone comes along in time to save her. The correct answer was to help Mitch save the tracksuit guy. Why do you got to be such a selfish motherfucker? All you had to do was help him. But no. Anyhow, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Here is my daughter, Liv Tullius, to read the next section. See you next week, guys. I can't just stand by and watch Mitch die trying to help the guy in the tracksuit. I follow behind him cautiously. We just need to distract him, that's all, he says when I catch up to him. But how? Good question.
He looks around the area. There, he says, pointing to a fence pole about three inches thick and maybe ten feet long lying on the ground. Mitch picks it up from one end, and the other end makes a hollow metallic scratch as he lifts it from the pavement. No, 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 please, the guy in the tracksuit cries as the giant bends down to grab him. Mitch raises the pole and banks the bottom of it against the ground. Playing, he shouts, which I guess is some kind of insult. I am the servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. He cleans the pole three more times as he shouts, You shall not pass. I recognize that last part from the Lord of the Rings movies. My dad made me watch the trilogy when I was eight, and as dark as it is, it gets the attention of the giant. It's obvious in the way the giant turns to us how difficult it is for him to move, as if his bones are too large for his body, even as a ghost. He lumbers towards us, walking with a wobble as if his legs are in braces. Shaggy, greasy hair hangs in his face. His skull is so large it stretches his skin. What now, Gandalf? I whisper. Mitch shrugs. I don't know. Run? Running, I can do. Mitch drops the pole with another loud clang, and we hurry back to Sharon, who's been watching from under the creaking windmill. Back at the farmhouse, the giant bends to pick up the pole and twists it back and forth with his large head cocked to one side, like he's trying to figure out what it is. Then he turns and heads back towards the guy in the tracksuit, who still cowers against the fence. Why is he just sitting there? Sharon asks. I wish I could answer her, but I don't know. Maybe he's frozen in fear. Whatever the reason, it looks like he's about to be bludgeoned to death with a fence pole. Instead, the giant lumbers right past the man, driving the pole into the muck beyond the fence. With the giant distracted, the man in the tracksuit finally makes a move, trying to crawl past the hulking figure. But it's already too late. The giant reaches out a massive hand and grabs him by the waistband of his track pants. The man's arms and legs pin well as the giant grabs the shoulder and raises him high into the air. He screams when the giant slams him down ass first on the fence pole. I turn away a second too late and witness the man silenced by the pole exiting his mouth with a burst of internal fluids. Oh my god, Sharon gasps, covering baby Michelle's eyes. The giant turns towards us. We have to go, I tell them. Which way, Sharon asks. The ghost tram or the tunnels? The tunnels, I blurt, simply because Sharon said it was the closest option. They don't wait around for a second opinion. We can't run because Sharon has the baby in the sling of her shoulders, but we're a good distance away from the giant and his farmhouse in a few minutes. Coming up on our right is a squared-off hedge, bright green in the spring sunshine, with little red flowers among the foliage. That's pretty. Sharon stops to look at them. Look at the pretty flowers, Shell. She tells the baby. Michelle reaches out to touch one. Careful, Cher. Those have thistles. Sharon frowns. She reaches in out of spite and plucks one of the flowers, which she tucks behind baby Michelle's right ear. We continue on. After a minute or so walking along the neatly trimmed hedge, Mitch says, it's oddly quiet. I scowl back at him. Now you've jinxed it. Lucky I'm not superstitious. Hey, why do they call you lucky anyway? I tell him about my good luck, starting with the time when I was a baby and my stroller rolled into the road and somehow managed to avoid all the oncoming traffic, and ending with yesterday, with my shoes coming untied, preventing me from getting run over by a speeding car. I don't tell them anything about church. Telling them about him would be another jinx, and I've already had way too many close calls today to keep pushing my luck. If you're supposed to be so lucky, how do you end up here with us? Mitch. 
Sharon says, jostling the baby gently. No, really, Sharon. I'm just curious. I shrug, not really interested in an argument. I guess my luck ran out, I tell him. Well, that's comforting, Sharon mutters. She gives her husband a side eye. Are you happy with yourself? Mitch shrugs. We stop in front of a sign by an entrance in the hedges. Crane Gardens, Mitch says, reading the sign. Hey, I remember reading about this woman in the brochure. Real nut job. They say if she got mad at the slaves who tended her garden, like if one of them trimmed a hedge closely or made too much noise while she was in her courtyard, something like that, she'd hunt them through the maze with her bow and arrow. Oh, that's lovely, Sharon says. Imagine. She stops and stares past us, her eyes popping. Mitch follows her gaze and his eyes go wide too. Oh shit, he whispers. Sharon doesn't bother to chastise him for swearing this time. I'm pretty sure I don't want to know, but not looking isn't going to make whatever they've seen go away. So I turn, regretting it immediately. A troop of menacing clowns are heading straight for us down the path. Their faces look mangled, multicolored wigs and noses charred, like a painting splashed with water before it could dry. One of them walks on his hands, his head twisted around to face us. Another juggles three severed heads, their expressions twisted in horror and pain. A pair who look like conjoined twins, with smooth heads and giant red lips below their bright clown noses, stagger towards us on three legs. Scorchy the clown, the one who decapitated Damien's husband, leads this terrifying troop. It's too far to tell whether any of the juggler's heads are his. What now, Sharon says, tearing her voice. Baby Michelle giggles, obviously dazzled by the bright colors and funny walks, too young to see the danger. Mitch turns to me with his eyebrows raised and mouth shut, not offering up a decision of his own. Short of heading straight towards the problem, it looks like we've got three options. I got lucky doing that once back at the visitor center, and without Church's help, I dad also ride it again. To our left, the entrance to the crane gardens beckons, green and inviting, the sound of a fountain or some kind of water feature trickling within. The temperamental ghost of Mrs. Crane awaits us there with her bow and arrow. To our right, the lights and chimes of the Starlight Arcade would make a pretty good distraction, if it hasn't already attracted a ton of ghosts. We could run and hide there, but who knows what kind of ghost might be waiting inside. Plus, it's a much smaller space, easier for anything to find us. Game over. Back the way we came is the unfriendly giant who impaled the man in the tracksuit, possibly hoping to do the same to the three of us. Who knows what he'd do to the baby? He could skewer us all on the same pole like kebabs if he wanted to. I'm not sure what to tell Sharon, but it looks like I don't have much time to choose. The clowns have spotted us. Scorchy slaps the head of his mallet into the gloved fist as he leads the approach. The juggler giggles madly, likely eager to add another head or two to its collection. The hand walker smiles like a maniac, staring at us with his head impossibly vertical, legs wobbling above him like the plumage of some horrible bird. The conjoined twins honk their colorful clown noses and twiddle their white gloved fingers, hobbling on three legs towards us. I've got to choose the lesser of three evils, but I have no idea which one that is. Time for a decision. You can turn back towards the farmhouse, head into the Crane Gardens, or hide in the Starlight Arcade. 